Uh, if I were to ask you, since I'm standing here, which chapter or which part of the scripture speaks to you most about love, what would you say? Yeah, I'm hearing 1 Corinthians 13, right? That's the one we always think of. But there is another equally eloquent pastor that, passage that talks about love in the Bible, and Brenda is going to read that right now. The gospel reading today is from the first letter of John, chapter 4, verses 7 through, eight, 7 through 21. If you'd care to join along, it can be found on page 241 of the New Testament in your pew Bible. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, as are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters, are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God, whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. The word of God for the people of God. One note, that should be the epistle reading. That's the second week in a row, and that's my bad. So, sorry about that. <laughs> so, today we come to the last phrase in what might be called the fundamental premise of our new vision statement. And so we are all on the same page. I invite you to join me in reading that statement, which you'll find on the cover of your bulletin. Following the example of Jesus Christ, El Segundo United Methodist Church seeks to be a community of faith that embodies the love of God by reaching out and welcoming all, especially those on the margins of society, by creating a safe space in which all are supported on their faith journey, and by serving the needs of the community and beyond. Thank you. Anybody got that memorized yet? Work on it, work on it. 
Following the example of Jesus Christ, El Segundo United Methodist Church seeks to be a community of faith that embodies the love of God. What does it mean to embody the love of God? Let's begin with the assumption that is the basis of this phrase, that God loves. This thought is so familiar to us that we forget what an amazing idea this is. God, the one whom we believe to create the creator of all things, the one whom we describe as omniscient, all-knowing, and omnipotent, all-powerful, the one whose kingdom we proclaim is also the one who loves. William Self writes, all of God's activity is loving activity. If God creates, God does it in love. If God rules, God does it in love. If God judges, God does it in love. Indeed, the author of 1 John goes so far as to say that God is love. Ronald Cole Turner points out that this author could have described God as power or goodness, order or generosity. He writes, in our insecurity and longing for protection, we often yearn for a God who can control nature and prevent sickness and violence, a God who will protect us from all harm. In a world of moral confusion, we wish for a God who lays down the law with complete clarity and holds everyone accountable, catching the cheaters and rewarding the faithful. In our hunger to possess, we might even imagine a God of prosperity, one who promises to make us rich if we obey a few principles. John avoids all of these descriptions in favor of the single word, agape, or love. God is agape, our text says in the Greek. Agape, however, is not brotherly or sexual or romantic love. It is not the kind of love you find described in a Valentine's Day card. Agape is love that is unconditional and universal. Love that gives without expecting a return. Love that is unstinting, even sacrificial. And here's an amazing thing about this kind of love. It is directed toward us. We love, John Run writes, because God first loved us. Through no doing of our own, we are God's beloved. Clifton Black notes, contrary toward our, to our inclination toward the quid pro quo, God has decided in our favor, apart from our ability to reciprocate, gracing us with love prior to and independent of any response we might offer for no other reason than that love is the very nature of God that is knowable to human beings. Rick Morley offers a different take on the same idea when he writes about holding our newborn children. Looking into their little squinting eyes and running my finger through their little wisps of hair, I was convinced that I'd never love anyone else ever as much. But why? Why did I love them so much then? They hadn't done anything yet. They hadn't even eaten or had reason for a diaper change. They hadn't accomplished some great feat and they hadn't done anything for me at all. They hadn't even fetched the remote control for me. <laughs> but I didn't love them because of what they had done or what they could do. I loved them for who they were. They were mine, my children. 
And in those moments, and every moment since, I have loved them on days when they make me proud, on days when they get on my last nerve, and on every day in between. Becoming a daddy has helped me get a glimpse into the love of God that I might never have gotten otherwise. Not that there aren't other ways to glimpse God's love, but for me personally, it changed everything. As I held those little bundles of joy in my arms and felt the rush of awe and wonder, so must God experience when he holds us. God doesn't love us because we do things for him. God doesn't love us because of our great feats and accomplishments. God doesn't love us because we're good. God loves us because we are his. On days when we make him proud, on days when we get on his every last nerve, on days when we fail to live up to even the most basic Christian expectations, he loves us still, despite it all, through it all. In other words, God loves us no matter what. God is the source, the wellspring, the initiator of love, and wonder of wonders, we are God's beloved. Say that to yourself. I am God's beloved. Can you do that? I am God's beloved. You could say that to yourself a million times every day. Look in the mirror in the morning and say, I am God's beloved. God loves me. Say it when you do things that aren't what you're supposed to do or when you mess up. Say it all the time because it's true. It's true. How did the author of 1 John come to this conclusion? How do we know that he is speaking the truth? He knew it and we know it because of Jesus Christ. In verses 9 and 10 he writes, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It is in Jesus that we see God's love in the flesh. It is in him that we recognize and receive that love, and it is through him that we are saved and given new life by that love. We see the love of God in the way Jesus interacted with people, in his healing of the sick, in his feeding of the hungry, in his teaching of those who thirsted for righteousness, and even in his rebuke of those who thought they were already righteous. Most of all, we see the love of God in Jesus' death on the cross, a death that he came to willingly, laying down his life for the love of God and for the love of us. And in his resurrection, we see the ultimate expression of that same agape love, a love so unexpected, so radical, the, the Apostle Paul noted that its proclamation bordered on folly. It is this love, my friends, that we seek to embody, that indeed we are called to embody. As the author of 1 John writes, Beloved, since God loves us so much, we also ought to love one another. Here he mirrors the commandment that Jesus gave to his disciples at their last meal together. Love one another as I have loved you. 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Of course. But still, what does that word embody mean? Why was that particular word chosen to be in our vision statement? It is true we could have used a different word. We could have said that we seek to be a community of faith that offers the love of God or that shares the love of God, or even that lives out the love of God, all those words would have conveyed something of our church's intention. But to say that we embody the love of God is something more. To embody something is to make it physical, to make it real. To embody the love of God is to enable others to experience it in ways that are tangible, to help them see and hear and taste and smell and touch it. To embody the love of God is to incarnate it, to give it flesh, just as Jesus did. It's the difference between saying, I love you, and living out that love day by day, on the days when the one whom we love makes us proud, on the days when the one whom we love gets on our last nerve, and every day in between. To embody the love of God is to love our neighbor as ourselves and more. It is an expression of our love for the God who loves both that neighbor and us. First John puts this in even stronger terms. Those who say I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who loved God must love their brothers and sisters also. And this from the third chapter of this book. We know love by this, that Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's good and sees his brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. This kind of love is not something we feel, it's something we do. First John speaks of loving sisters and brothers, which we might take to mean that we are called only to love those who are members of our families or who belong to our church. Judith Jones argues otherwise. If we love others as God has loved us, there can be no boundaries. God's love made visible and present in Jesus is the source for the love we share with others. Jesus ignored the limits that religious communities imposed. He ate and talked with people whom the religious leaders had rejected as heretics, as sinful, as filthy and despicable. He touched people who were considered untouchable and welcomed people whom everyone else had kicked out. His harshest words were reserved not for the impure, but for unloving, self-righteous people who saw some of God's children as beneath their attention and certainly as unworthy of their love. If Jesus shows us what God's love in like, is like, then there can be no doubt how far our love for others must extend to every single human being. Okay, that's a pretty big order. To love in this way, 
to love every single human being is, well, it's just beyond our human capacity. Lord knows there are some days when it's difficult to love members of our families, let alone the driver who cuts us off, the homeless woman whose body odor is overwhelming, or the coworker who lets us do all the work and takes all the credit. How can we possibly live up to this? I hear you. I hear me. <laughs> to try to love those who are unlovable, who make us uncomfortable or angry is hard, even frightening. But if we truly seek to live out this vision, we cannot let fear get the better of us. The author of John, first, the first John understood this. He writes, love has been perfected among us in this way that we may have boldness on the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is not fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. In response, William Self writes, Against the lovelessness of fear, 1 John sets the fearlessness of love. No longer must we have the anxious, self-tormenting endeavor to placate God, but rather the response of a loving, confident heart to a love already shown and shared. Still, how can we do this? Where can we find the strength and the courage to live out the vision that has been set before us? Again, I go back to the words of 1 John. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. And this, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us the spirit. And this, God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. And again, this, we love because God first loved us. Dear friends, do you hear the promise in these words? Though our love is limited, weak, and fallible, if we trust in the unfailing love of God, if we are willing to open ourselves to the guidance of the Spirit, if we gladly support one another in our walk with Christ, God's love will flow through us. God's divine love will be embodied in us. It's our choice to make. But then love is always a choice. It is a choice that God has made. It is a choice that Christ made. And by the grace of God, it is the choice that we can and will make. I've experienced what can happen when people make that choice. Many years ago now, when my mother died unexpectedly, my sister and I were blessed by people whom we had never met. Compassionate funeral director. A pastor who was covering for a colleague who was on vacation, but who spoke at the service from her heart. The organist who took the time to help me prepare to sing. And the people of the church where my mother's service was held, who did not know us at all, but who welcomed us in, provided a reception for us, and even acted as pallbearers for my mother's casket. 
In those difficult days, those people truly embodied the love of God for us. I suspect that many of you have had similar experiences. When 1 John wanted to describe the love of God, he said, in essence, look at Jesus. He knew how to love. Now, as we begin to live into our vision, I hope and pray that when someone wants to describe the love of God, they will say, look at the people of El Segundo United Methodist Church. They know how to love. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. May it be so. Amen and amen.